there is nothing worth living for unless it is worth dying for. My grandmother lived a life devoted to Jesus, and today her talks have been made available in their original form. So you too can be built up through the insights and mysteries God revealed to her throughout her ministry. Now, without further ado, here is Elizabeth Elliot. I am very privileged to be here, to have the opportunity to speak to you sprinters. All the rest of you are allowed to listen in. We're glad that you're here, but you understand, I'm sure, that I came to speak to the sprinters. And according to Rich's calculations, I am two years into the twilight <laughs> of my life. And I'm delighted. Uh, I just recently read that, if, that someone calculated that if you look at a normal lifespan as from 6 o'clock in the morning until 10 o'clock at night, just as one day, then when you get to be 60, it's 6 o'clock in the evening. And I am 62. And I can look back over a good many long years since I was a foreign missionary. It thrills me that there are still young people who are interested in foreign missions, and I hope and pray that many of you sprinters will seriously face God about the matter of returning permanently to the mission field. Almost everybody nowadays has done some kind of a short-term thing, and if you therefore think that you have discharged your missionary responsibility, and now you can get on with real living. I'd like to disabuse you of that notion. God has given you an opportunity to see what a lot of young people of my generation never could have even dreamed of seeing. People were not going overseas for weekends and things the way they do nowadays. For me, the commitment to foreign missionary service was a lifetime commitment. I could not imagine that I would ever do anything but be a foreign missionary. And it took me 10 days to get to Ecuador from New York. I took a boat through the Panama Canal and down the West Coast. And when it takes you 10 days to get somewhere, you feel as if you've really gotten somewhere and you're not going home for Christmas vacation. We assumed that we wouldn't be going home for at least five years. And, in fact, that was the way it worked for me. But I think of all that God taught me in my 11 years of missionary work. Sometimes I've been asked to speak on what I taught the Indians. And I always tell people, well, that would make a very short speech. A much longer one would be what the Indians taught me. The lessons that God taught me in that time. That's not what I came to talk to you about tonight. If you want a title for tonight's talk, it would be a seven-day-a-week yes. I would assume that every one of you sprinters went on this program because you believed that it was the will of God. And I have no reason to doubt that it was indeed the will of God. Let me ask you a question. For how many of you was it exactly what you expected?
I don't see any hands. Well, I'd like to say, so what else is new? I can tell you, as an old lady looking back over all these years, about 50 years since I made a commitment to ask Jesus to be Lord of my life, I can tell you for sure that the will of God is never what we expect. It may contain some of the elements that we expect, but it will never be exactly what we expect, and it is probably going to be radically different from what we expect. It's going to be different. It's going to be a great deal bigger. It's going to be probably infinitely harder. And, don't forget this, it will ultimately be infinitely more glorious, unspeakably more glorious. Don't ever be afraid of the will of God. Sometimes when I tell something about my own story, I have young people coming up to me and saying, but this business of the will of God is just so scary. I mean, what if God did to me what he did to you? And I say, well, what did he do to me? And of course, they have all sorts of ideas that God is going to take away their, the deepest desire of their hearts, and he's up there looking over the parapets of heaven, trying to find somebody that's having a good time so that he can say, cut it out. <laughs> that's a really devilish view of the will of God, because the will of God always is love. And love cannot possibly want anything less for the beloved than joy and perfection and bliss. I have six grandchildren. I love those grandchildren. I love them desperately. What do I want for them? Perfection, joy, bliss. But I know what they don't know, that the road to perfection and joy and bliss is going to contain some very dark valleys, some very long tunnels, some deep waters, and some high mountains. All of those things are part of the will of God in getting you where he wants you to be. You know, when God led the children of Israel into the Promised Land, he did not lead them by the shortcut. That's what the Bible says. He did not lead them by the short route. He took them through a waste-howling wilderness where they had to suffer all sorts of fearful things. So you say it was not what you expected. Now let me ask you this. If you knew everything that was going to be entailed just in this little short span that was your sprint experience this summer, would you have been just as enthusiastic about going out as you were back when you really didn't know what it was going to entail. Now, I'm not asking you if you would do it over again now. I imagine that a good many of you, even if you did have a tough time, would say, yes, you would do it over again. But if you had known back then all that it was going to involve, like the poor 27 people that lost their suitcases, I mean, to me, that's a horrible thing. I have lost my suitcase many, many times, never for eight days. But if you knew it all, would you have had the courage back then to say yes, to sprint. How many of you would say, I might not have? I see about three very timid hands. I'm not sure the rest of you are being really honest. 
On the other hand, maybe your sprint experience was just so wildly wonderful and so perfect in every way that you couldn't possibly not have said yes. But I would say, certainly, if God had shown me a blueprint of all the way that he was going to have to lead me over the next 50 years, back when I was 12 years old, I'm not at all sure that I would have said, yes, Lord, I want your will for my life, your whole will, nothing else, nothing more, nothing less. But the only reason that we're ever scared about the will of God is because we cannot see the grace that will be there. Our imaginations leave out the amazing grace that will be there. So now let me ask you the third question. First of all, I asked, was it what you expected? Most of you said no. You all said no. If you knew everything in advance that you know now about it, would you have gone? All but three of you said yes, you would have gone. Third question, was there enough grace in the hard places? Those of you that would say yes, put your hand up. Okay. Those of you that would say no, may I see your hands? You see, you're here tonight, aren't you? You're all in one piece. There was enough grace. God was there. God was faithful. God carried you through the deep water, the dark valley, the steep mountain, the loss of the suitcases, the terrible food that some of you probably had to have, the sleeping conditions, the bugs, the heat, the cold. Those of you that were, I presume that it was cold in San Pablo, was it? I don't really know where the San Pablo is. It's in the high mountains, right? So some of you froze and some of you died of the heat. But the grace of God is always just enough, as was the manna for the children of Israel in the wilderness. They couldn't get manna for tomorrow. They couldn't save over Wednesday's manna for Thursday. It was this day our daily bread. And that, I promise you, is always the way the grace of God will provide, one day at a time, always exactly enough for the needs of that day. So from that, there are three things that we can conclude. And I find all three of those things in a passage in 2 Corinthians, the first chapter. Verses 18 to 22, I read this. My translation that I'm reading from is the New English Bible. 2 Corinthians 1, 18. As God is true, the language in which we address you is not an ambiguous blend of yes and no. The Son of God, Christ Jesus, proclaimed among you by us was never a blend of yes and no. With him it was and is yes. He is the yes pronounced upon God's promises, every one of them. That is why when we give glory to God, it is through Christ Jesus that we say amen or yes. And if you and we belong to Christ, guaranteed as his and anointed, it is all God's doing. It is God also who has set his seal upon us, and as a pledge of what is to come, has given us the spirit to dwell in our hearts. 
Three things. Number one, God is faithful. Several years ago, I had a missionary couple from Peru sitting at my dining room table, and they had been on the field just for one term, five years. And I asked them this question, what would you say is the primary lesson that the experiences of these five years have taught you? And I knew that they had been through some extremely tough times. And there was a pause while they thought about the answer. And then the wife said, God is faithful. That certainly sums up my 11 years of missionary experience. It certainly sums up all the rest of my life, before and since then. The second lesson from this passage is Christ's response. Now, when Christ came into the world, he was the first missionary, wasn't he? He said, Lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do thy will, O God. He came for love of the Father. He came in obedience to the Father. He came to do the works of the Father, to speak only what the Father gave him to speak. And it says here, The Son of God, Christ Jesus, proclaimed among you by us, was never a blend of yes and no. With him it was and is yes. Jesus Christ is the eternal yes. Yes to the will of the Father, Yes to obedience. Yes to death, the death of the cross. He is the yes pronounced upon God's promises, every one of them. The response of our Lord and Master was a pure acceptance. Always yes Father. If we're going to be followers of his, what is to be our response? This brings me to the third. Ours is to be a yes without conditions, without limits, without reservations. Now that, to me, is the great lesson of the Christian life. Because a Christian is someone who identifies himself 100% with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, someone has said that faith is a movement of the entire person away from himself and into the will of God. Now, put that down in your book. Faith is a movement of the entire person away from himself and into the will of God. When we speak about faith, we probably have all sorts of definitions. Probably we'd get as many definitions as there are people here tonight. And when we speak about accepting the Lord Jesus Christ as our own personal Savior, a phrase that we can just parrot off as if it meant absolutely nothing, or a phrase which may have changed our lives. Our yes to Jesus at that point 
may have been a very ignorant one, a very feeble one. It just about had to be, didn't it? If that was the initial decision of our Christian life, we didn't know what we were getting into. Nobody does. Any more than the bride knows what she's getting into when she comes down the aisle and stands up before God and witnesses, and when the preacher says, will you take this man to be your wedded husband, she says, yes. Does she know what she's getting? I see some women vigorously shaking their heads. Okay, what about you men, you married men? Did you know what was in that prize package? That gorgeous creature coming down the aisle? Of course not. I don't care if you knew her for 10 years ahead of time. You didn't know all the things that you're going to know in the next 24 hours because she was not your wife. And we can read about God and we can read the story of Jesus and we can hear about him, but until we say yes, it doesn't really get right down into where we live and start changing our lives. We might have said yes to get a free ticket to heaven. And some of the sermons that we hear would certainly indicate that that's really all that's involved. You say yes to Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you've got a free ticket to heaven, and from here on in you can do pretty much what you want to do, whatever you feel good doing and whatever you're comfortable with, you can do, because you're already guaranteed entrance. Maybe you said yes to Jesus Christ in order to be able to call yourself a Christian, because there's a certain ring to that word, isn't there? It's got some degree of respectability in some circles. Maybe you said yes to please your folks. I suppose that when I said yes to Jesus as my Savior, I was 10. It wasn't until I was 12 that I realized he had to be Lord of my life. And my parents were in that meeting at that time, and so there's no question in my mind that it would, there was no question in my mind that it would please them for me to stand up at that invitation. And I don't think God objects to motivations like that. We have mixed motives for everything we do, don't we? Maybe you wanted to please your Sunday school teacher or somebody else. Maybe you said yes in order to get your prayers answered. But as we begin to grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, then we begin to see that if Jesus is my Savior, if he died for me, and I identify myself with that life, then he must also be my Lord. I must turn over the rights to him. Because what did Jesus say about the conditions of discipleship? He said, if you want to be my disciple, you give up your right to yourself and take up the cross and follow me. Now, if the preacher had told you right up front that accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior means that you've got to give up all your rights, turn over all the counters to God, and say no to yourself and yes to him seven days a week from here on in, would you have said yes? 
Well, even to that question, some of you might say, yes, I would have said yes. But you still don't know what God is going to ask of you between here and heaven. But whatever it is, I repeat, the grace will be there. Don't ever fear the future. God is already there. Leave the past with him, that belongs to God. Leave the future with him, that's none of your business. Say yes to God today, and there will be enough grace to meet you in that need. Now, I presume that you sprinters said, Yes, Lord. When the challenge came, would you like to go out with Sprint? You prayed about it, you talked about it with your parents, you talked about it with your pastor, perhaps, and with the Sprint people, and the answer was, yes, I'll go. Well, I don't have any idea how you get assigned to the different programs, whether it's Belize or Indonesia or Ecuador or what, but maybe for some of you it was a disappointment. When they said, will you go to Belize, then the answer might have been, hmm, I didn't really think I was going to have to go to Belize. I wanted to go to Indonesia. But you said yes to the first thing, so you have to say yes to the second thing. Suppose they said, would you like to travel in a dugout canoe? Yes, sure. Who wouldn't want to have the experience of traveling in a dugout canoe? Well, but it's going to be five days. Oh, that's a different story. I have never traveled in a dugout canoe for five days. I can't think of anything more miserable. Um, did your dugout, who are the people that traveled in that dugout canoe? May I see your hands? Did you have comfortable seats? Um, like director's chairs, canvas seats? What did you have? You didn't go. The bottom of the boat. Okay, was it leaking? Okay, I know what that's like. You sit in the bottom of the boat and the water keeps coming up a little bit further and a little bit further. And in my experience, the water was usually coming down on top of you too because it was always pouring rain. And I have never been so cold in my life as I was in the steaming tropical jungle of Ecuador sitting in a dugout canoe in the pouring rain. But as I said, I've never done it for five days. But God doesn't tell you all that in advance. He just says, will you go with me to Ecuador? Yes, I'll go to Ecuador. All right, will you go to the Alcas? Yes, I'll go to the Alcas. Okay, it's going to involve part of the trip in a dugout canoe. Fine, I'll sit in a dugout canoe. He doesn't tell me that it's going to be pouring rain, that the boat is going to leak, that there's nothing to lean against, that it's banging along and pulling the canoe over the rocks and just misery, spelled with a capital M. Would you like to go to Peru? Yes. Would you like to build a church in San Pablo? Yes. Would you like to smash rocks with a, uh, what was it, a sledgehammer? Well, maybe that's not too bad for 15 minutes, but I can't imagine doing it for, for 20. Well, now, what am I saying? I'm saying that the will of God is going to involve a whole lot more, a whole lot of different things, a whole lot of things you never imagined. 
but you did get through the dugout trip. You did get to smash the rocks. You did enjoy being in Belize instead of Indonesia. You lost your suitcases, but Bonnie was telling me this afternoon that that very thing drew that team together because you had to share in a way that you wouldn't have had to share otherwise. It was a terrible inconvenience, but it was only an inconvenience. It's not life-threatening. You may think it is, especially you girls. But God is faithful. And God will never suffer you to be tempted above what you are able. I'll never forget the shock that I got the first time I heard a missionary say, oh, well, I just couldn't take that. I wanted to say, what did you say? Oh, I can't take any more of that. I mean, I've just had it with that. I have to say, I was genuinely shocked because I really, I was a missionary myself and far from perfect, but certainly one thing I had made up my mind before I went to Ecuador was that I would take whatever God dished out. And I expected it to be fairly tough because I was expecting to work in pioneer situations. Does a Christian ever have a right to say, I've had it up to here with this Lord? Not if we are going to identify ourselves seven days a week with the cross and the resurrection. Because you cannot follow Jesus and know him in the power of his resurrection if you don't also know him in the fellowship of his sufferings. He doesn't say, give up your right to yourself, follow me, and I'll take you to the resurrection. He says, give up your right to yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Now, what is a cross? A cross, ladies and gentlemen, is a cross, an instrument of torture. There's blood on it. There are nails, pain, anguish, isolation, loneliness. Now, you and I have very small crosses, don't we, by comparison. The teensiest hint of a taste of the fellowship of his sufferings. Him, the sufferings of him through whose heart desperate tides of the whole great world's anguish were poured, according to the poem by F.W.H. Myers. Desperate tides of the whole great world's anguish forced through the channels of a single heart. And Jesus is simply saying, do you want to be my disciple? This is what I ask of you right from the start. Give up your right to yourself. Your right to say, I've had it. Because I know what you can take, he says. I won't allow you to be suffered above what you are able. Trust me. I will be faithful. And what do we find in this chapter in 1 Corinthians that I just read? 
The Son of God, Christ Jesus, proclaimed among you was never a blend of yes and no. With him it was and is yes. He is the yes pronounced upon God's promises, every one of them. Then what is our response? If the response of my Lord and Master to his Father's will was always yes, then if I'm going to go with him one step at a time, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, what does my response have to be? Yes. Yes, Lord. When we give glory to God, verse 20, it is through Christ Jesus, by the power of my Lord and Master, by the blood of Jesus, by the word of his testimony, by the name that I say, yes. The story is told of Graham Scroggie, the great Scottish preacher, to whom a young woman came in deep distress. She was sure that the will of God was going to ruin her dreams and her hopes and her plans. And there was one thing in particular that she wanted so badly, and it didn't look to her as if God was ever going to let her have it. And so she spoke of this sorrow to Dr. Scroggie. She said, what shall I do? And he said, take this little piece of paper. I'm going to write two words on this little piece of paper. Go back there to the back of the church and sit down, study these two words, cross out one of them, and come back, and I'll talk to you. And so she took this little slip of paper, and she went back and she opened it up. And it said, yeah, it said no, Lord. And she puzzled over that, and she pondered over that, and she suddenly saw the light. If she was going to say no, she would have to cross out Lord. And if she was going to say Lord, what did she have to cross out? No, you cannot say no, Lord. I can't take any more of this. I've had the schnitzel with this, Lord. It's too much for me. I've had it up to here. I'm burned out, freaked out, spaced out, zoned out, whatever you kids get, I don't know. I <laughs> was trying to learn the other day from my nephew, 19 years old, some vocabulary that just was way over my head. And he said, well, I was jonesed. <laughs> I said, you were what? Jonesed, he said. Well, that's just the very bottom of the barrel, the pit of depression, if you're jonesed. Not a place for a Christian to be, really. But everything, literally everything, from the lost suitcases to the strange and indefinable and indescribable food that some of you probably had to eat, to the weariness that backache and all the rest of it of the dugout canoe and the arm-wrenching job of smashing those rocks, everything that happens, it says in Romans 8.28, fits into a pattern for good. Now, those are things I would hope that all of those things that I've mentioned that happen to be the only few things that I picked up out of your letter 
that tells me of some of the trials and tribulations. Those are all things that you can look back and say, yes, it was a good thing for me. I did learn this and this and this. In my first year as a missionary, three things happened that didn't seem to make any sense at all. Three stunning blows to my faith. I'll just tell you one of them. I worked on an Indian language, reduced it to writing. All of that language material was in one suitcase. All the notebooks, all the charts, all the three-by-five cards. There were no copies of anything. This was in the days before Xerox. There were no tapes. The entire suitcase was stolen. The entire year's work down the drain, humanly speaking. And there were two other things that happened in that year. I cannot look back and say, but God brought this and this and this and this, ten wonderful things out of the loss of that language. God says to me, trust me. You don't have to know how that fits into my pattern. You simply have to know that it does. Now, how do I know that it does? Because the book says so. All things work together for good to them that love God. Philip's translation says everything that happens fits into a pattern for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. And what is his purpose? Verse 29 tells us exactly what his purpose is. That I, that each one of us, you and I, everyone who follows Jesus Christ, should be conformed to the image of his Son shaped to the likeness of Christ. I can look around this room and I see all these faces, some white heads, some blonde heads, and some black heads, some young folks, and some old folks. And I think every single person here, God wants to shape into the image of Christ. And only God knows exactly what hammer blows what chisel chippings and what irritating filings it's going to take to shape your image, to shape you into the image of Christ. People so often say to me, oh, I've never been through anything like what you've been through. I sure wouldn't have ever survived if I had to go through what you went through. I say, look, you don't ever have to go through what I go through. And I, have, I will never go through what you've been through. Because the master sculptor is the one who is shaping that image. He has chosen what is necessary to shape me. And we can trust him to choose exactly the hammer blows and the chisel chippings and the filings that it takes to make us into the image of Christ. And while he is dealing those blows and chipping away and filing away that irritating person that you have to live with, that impossible person down at work, that awful brother or sister that you have such a terrible time with, or that person in your church that you just don't know how she ever got on the committee. You know, the filings. What is your response? Yes, Lord. Yes. 
I'll take it because I know that you love me. And I know that your will for me is perfection and joy and bliss. I spoke to a young man who had unloaded his first wife and his two little babies. The second baby was one week old when he just decided, forget it, I don't want to be a father, I don't want to be a husband, goodbye. And we sat in a motel, had breakfast together, and he told me his long story. And it was all so sad because it wasn't working, he said. The marriage just wasn't working. There wasn't anything to do but unload. So I said to him, where do you expect to find the happiness and the freedom that you thought you were going to get by unloading your wife and children? Well, he sort of shrugged and smiled and He's living in the fast lane now, as far as I know. In fact, he has just recently unloaded wife number two after a six-month marriage. But I said to him, you know, it's not out there. There is no route to fulfillment and freedom and joy except the will of God. There is no other way. The only way into the land of promise was through that wilderness. Following the Lord. The Lord knows the way through the wilderness. All you have to do is follow. One step at a time. And there will always be light for one step at a time. There will always be strength for one day at a time. And there will always be grace for whatever God requires of you. Now, why am I saying all these things to you sprinters? Well, I want you to look back on just this brief little span of weeks. How many weeks was it? Six weeks out of your whole life. Six weeks, which I trust will have been crucial in learning spiritual lessons that will last you for the rest of your life. Now, you had a great talk from Paul just an hour or so ago about going back and sharing your experience. And he warned you that there are some people back there that really aren't going to be all that excited about your experience. I was glad he said all that because I was planning to say it. I don't need to repeat it. But that was my experience. I was just bursting with things to tell people when I got home, and I found out that nobody was really all that excited about it. Nobody was very interested to listen more than about eight or ten minutes. You know, they wanted to know, well, did you ever eat monkey meat or something? And when you said yes to that, well, then forget the rest. It's, you know, it's just ho-hum. The more caterpillars you've eaten, the happier your audience will be. But if you... (laughs) Otherwise, it's not really very riveting. And let me give you three rules for giving your little talk if your church actually goes so far as to ask you to get up and talk. Three rules, basic rules for public speaking. Number one, stand up to be seen. Number two, speak up to be heard. And number three, shut up to be appreciated. (laughs) Now, my my husband is back there telling me a few minutes ago that I had ten minutes. I really wasn't going to take quite that long. I'm just about to wind it up. But maybe I should take the time he's telling me I should take six more minutes or something. What is it? Five. Okay. (laughs) I wanted to give you a few verses 
besides Romans 8.28, in case you doubt that literally everything is a present from God. I really believe that, that it is. There is a sense in which literally everything that touches my life has been handed to me by those wounded hands. Because literally everything I have to say yes to. Yes, Lord. It says in Psalm 119.91, All things serve thee. Psalm 40, verse 5, Thy wonderful purposes are all for our good. Psalm 57, verse 2, God fulfills his purpose for me. Ephesians 1.11, His design, whose purpose is everywhere at work. Through Christ, my answer to the will of God is yes. Now I say to you, young people, go home and start honoring your parents. I have a friend named Terry who told me that she became a Christian when she was about 15, but it took two more years before all of a sudden, one day, it came over her with tremendous horror. Oh, gee whiz, golly, I'm supposed to honor my father and my mother. And she had never gotten along with either one of her parents. And she said that was the hardest thing that I ever did. And she said I started to pray for grace. And one day I asked if I could do something that I wanted to do so bad I could taste it. And my mother said no. And I said, okay. And she said I could hardly believe my ears. I had just heard myself say, okay. And I went into my room and I sat down and I said, God answered my prayer. He's helping me. I hope there will be a difference in your attitude to the people that it's hardest to show it to, your brothers, your sisters, your schoolmates, your parents. It's one thing to stand up in front of the pulpit and talk to the church. That is exciting. And you get to show your slides and everybody thinks, wow, for the first five minutes. <laughs> be gracious and grateful no matter what. Jesus Christ wants to be Lord of your love life, Lord of your school life, Lord of your money, Lord of your job, Lord of what you do when you don't think anybody's watching. He wants to give you a chance every day, 10 chances, 20 chances, to say no to yourself and yes to God. To refuse to die to yourself is to refuse to live in Christ, to identify with his death and resurrection. To choose the self-life is to reject the Christ life. Will you say, yes, Lord, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday? God bless you. I pray you've been encouraged and inspired by what you've heard today and will keep joining us here and on social media for my granny's inspiration. Until then, remember, the eternal God is your refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms.